Welcome to the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Today is a very special episode. Today's episode is all about failure. But before I discuss any further uh, about what I mean, I want to go ahead and talk to you guys about the inspiration for today's episode. So I am coming up on my one-year podiversary or uh, anniversary, one-year anniversary, if you will, of me podcasting. And it's been an absolutely incredible journey. And before I go into any more, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who supported the podcast to this point. I really, really appreciate it. Now, that being said, the inspiration for this podcast was me reflecting on that one year and what I've learned from the podcast, what what lessons I've learned from interviewing some of the absolute best coaches and practitioners in the world. And there's been many, many lessons. And so my goal is to take some of the lessons that have made me a better coach and bring them to you here today. And the first one that we're going to be discussing is the lesson of turning failure into success, turning coaching failure into success. And what do I mean by that? One of the things I've noticed about many of the guests that I've interviewed and had the pleasure of interacting with is that many of them, and these are all guests who are you know, at the peak of their field that are doing great things, many of them have gone through challenging times or coaching failures, if you will, that have led them to reevaluate their methods, reevaluate how they approach training, coaching, so that they can deliver a better experience to their athletes. And I just find that topic and that idea so compelling and inspirational that we can take some of our darkest times and propel them to some of the brightest to some of our most successful times and i think it's important for coaches to understand that we're all going to be going through these ups and downs these trials and tribulations and it's not necessarily how you react to them in the moment but how you respond to them after how you how you view them. Are you able to grow from these moments and become a better coach and reevaluate your methodology, maybe look inward to become a better coach, a better practitioner, and ultimately what we're all here for, deliver a better product, deliver better results for our athletes. So that's what today's episode is all about. So what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be playing some clips from some of my favorite um, guests, some of my favorite failures, if you will, that I've learned. So we'll be playing clips from those episodes. And then I will be offering some commentary on those episodes as well, what some of my takeaways are. So hopefully I can guide you into um, maybe getting your own takeaways from some of these lessons. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So this first clip is from way back in episode four in my interview with Casey Kreider. Casey is currently the women's volleyball coach at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. But at the time of this interview, this conversation, he was the assistant coach for the women's volleyball program at the University of Miami. And I just love the honesty that, you know, that Casey was even willing to discuss this story. And he goes into a story of a volleyball player that he worked with, a very high level volleyball player that did not quite have the career that many thought she would. She went overseas and she didn't, things didn't work out. And instead of, you know, utilizing it as a chance to boost his ego, Casey really looked internally and really analyzed his own methods as a coach and came out of it as a better coach. He utilized that experience and then decided to go down a different path. And I don't think everybody does that. And I think what I really learned from this is that mistakes can be interpreted or failures can be interpreted one of two ways. 
the ego can interpret them, or you can look internally and then create a new meaning and become a better coach. And that's really what Casey did here. Of course, I should mention that I will link to all of these episodes in the show notes if you want to hear the full story. But here's my clip with Casey. And uh, yeah, I think my, you know, you, you touched on it in the question, my eureka moment for me where things started to, to turn the corner, so to speak, is uh, we had a gal who was really talented um, and she went to play professionally, had a great career with us, went to play professionally, was going to go make a lot of money playing professional volleyball in, in Europe. And um, she lasted, the season's like eight months, she lasted like five. She didn't even make it through her first season. And she was the best player on her team, probably the best player, you know, in, I don't know about the league, but she certainly was one of the better players in the league. And she came back, she came home and I'm going, Hey, what the heck? You know, you were going to go make all this money. And she goes, the coaching was so bad over there that I couldn't handle it. I just, I, I couldn't handle the coaching. I couldn't handle the system. It wasn't like you guys. And what's the first thing that happens when a kid says that is you're a college coach and you hear that a professional coach, your chest puffs out and you feel like a million bucks because I can do it better than, than this guy overseas. It's professional guy. You know, he's doing it in the big time. And uh, so I felt great. I go, well, sorry that your career ended, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I knew what I was doing. You know, I did my job. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And shame on him for screwing it all up. And, uh, but the problem is, and I think I'm not the smartest guy in any room, but, uh, I'm smart enough to recognize that, uh, who suffered from that? Well, it wasn't me and it wasn't their coach. It was her who she had this, this career ahead of her. And, uh, she had an opportunity to be, uh, to, to make money, which is important. She had an opportunity to go pursue this passion at the highest levels in the world. She had an opportunity to live kind of a cool life for however many years she wanted and it, it failed and not because she wasn't talented enough. Um, and uh, so there's this itch, right. That I can't quite scratch. I'm trying to get at why at some point I'm trying to convince myself, no, you did your job. You were great. You were better than this guy. And uh, at some point months later, I just couldn't shake this feeling of I hadn't provided her the opportunity to handle something like that to develop the tools necessary to handle a situation like that. And this is where I think for me that, that idea of congruence uh, or maybe incongruence came into play. And it got really hard for me for a while where I was telling everybody that would listen that this job, this profession is about the athletes. We do it for them. It's all about them. And I really felt that. Like I felt like, like at my core, whatever you call it philosophically that I was doing this. So somebody else could enjoy uh, an experience as much as possible, but my behavior as a coach didn't support that idea because she would walk in. I'd say, okay, you're going to set like this. You're going to serve like this. You're going to move like that. No, 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 not like that. Like this. Let's go watch video. See this person who's great. You're going to do it like them because they're great. And uh, no, 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 you're not going to stand there. You're going to stand here because I scouted this team and this is where you need to stand, not over there. And uh, w the, the really painful conclusion that I came to was that this was <laughs> entirely my experience. I was playing a video game. You know, I was doing, I, I was, I was telling her, I, I was holding the controller, pressing the A button or the B button 
and saying, you're going to do these things and uh, expecting this video game character to get something out of it. And really I was the one getting stuff out of it. And uh, not to say, I don't think it's mutually exclusive, but I just, I look back and I go, man, I was, I was in a way robbing her of agency. You know, you hear that metaphor of like, Hey, we want them to be the drivers of their own experience, not passive passengers in their own experience. There's something about that that resonated with me. And so right around that time was when I had started talking to Keith. This was a couple of years, three, four years ago. I started talking to Keith. And once I started getting over that initial shock of being introduced to some more ecologically minded methods and philosophies, it started to feel a lot more congruent. It started to feel like all those things that I felt and all those things that I was saying to people, the missing piece was the, the coaching behaviors that supported that. And it felt like, hey, these are some things that may feel more congruent to you. And that's what I've landed on, to be honest, Javi, is mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm still not convinced that this is the best way, the be- uh, even a better way per se. I had success as a player that I'm proud of at the collegiate and, and uh, professional level. And I had spent most of my career being instructed. And I, I don't, I believe in the person and the people that instructed me. I think they were great people and great coaches um, what, so, so this idea that I think that it's better or worse, I, I mean, obviously I'm choosing it because I do think it's better, but more than that, I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying, yes, everybody should use the constraints led approach or differential learning, or even e- ecological concepts to govern their coaching. All I know is that I feel better at the end of the day when I go home and I feel congruent. And that to me is really important. I found that my life is so much better. My relationships are so much better when I feel congruent that that's been huge for me. And that's kind of why I've gravitated towards this is because I just, I don't think I'd last in the profession very long if I remained, you know, doing it the way I was doing it before. This next clip is from one of my favorite interviews that I've done thus far. And it is episode 23, or it is from episode 23, the journey from D3 football to the NFL with Nicholas Morrow. And Nick is someone who I draw inspiration from. He's actually been training with us over at Ignite for the past number of years. And his story is inspiring and both unlikely. Uh, he, you know, from anybody who knows anything about Division Three football, the likelihood of making that transition from D3, one of the lowest levels of college football, to the NFL is extremely Unlikely. I believe it's less than a percent of the current roster is from Division Three, the current roster in the NFL. And I think Nick really sheds some light on what it's like to be an athlete and to not achieve your initial goals, to have life throw you a curveball. He really is insightful, honest, and transparent in this interview. I think this next clip really sums up what a lot of our athletes go through, but we may not necessarily take the time to fully understand or to try and comprehend what they're experiencing. We're so in our own minds oftentimes that we don't take a moment to consider what they might be experiencing. So I thought it was really important to shed some light on an athlete's experience. And I think Nick does that extremely well here. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. I want to get us started with a a different place. You know, we'll talk about the present, I'm sure. But take me back, like what comes to mind when you think of Greenville, Illinois. When I say that, what comes to mind for you? Uh, growth. Um, it was Greenville was probably one of the hardest times of my life. Like I was actually probably one of the times where I could admit to you that I was depressed. Um, 
because you work so hard, especially in growing up in Huntsville, Alabama, right? You know, if you don't go to Alabama or Harvard, you're not really a football, you're not really a college football player in a lot of those, uh, a lot of your peers mind. And so now I know I'm not going D1. Um, I'm not going to any school in, in Alabama, like, uh, like a Tuskegee or Alabama A&M or uh, Birmingham Southern. I'm going all the way to Greenville. They don't even know what's, they don't even know, they don't even know the school uh, exists. You know, most of them don't even know Illinois is a state. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, I'm going to this place. I had one teammate refer to more the way I played um, as middle school ball. Right. So like I had all these things. So as I'm there, I'm just like, man, I've worked this hard and all I have to show for is division three football. So a lot, in a lot of ways I was disappointed in myself. Um, and I, and I felt down on myself, but I think the thing that got me through it was just realizing like, Oh, this may be where I am now. This doesn't have to be the end of the story. And even if it is the end of the story, doesn't mean I haven't accomplished anything. Like I can get something out of it. Um, and so I had to refocus like that. I had to, I'm sorry, I had to change my focus and not necessarily like I got to make the big time. It had to be more so, how do I make the most out of my opportunity that's in front of me right now? I think that's super interesting because you had to reframe everything, refocus, and still believe in your dream, right? Um, yeah. How how did you go about that? Like really believing in yourself when obviously people didn't believe in you? Yeah. Uh, well, one I couldn't tell. So when I when I got to Greenville, you know, every every day. And during, during training sessions, it was always like, you're not going to make it to the NFL from here. You're not going to make it to the NFL from here. Do it for your love of your brothers. Because the, the the program was built around, uh, it's called EMAP, Every Man of Panther. It was built around like brotherhood. That's like, a, that's like the aiming point of the, the program. So and everything we did was about brotherhood, building that camaraderie and stuff like that. And so like they, the way they motivated you was saying, like, you're not going to make it to the NFL from this division through school. So you might as well do it for the people that you're, that you're around. You might as well do it for your brother. And, and I was okay with it. Like, yeah, let's do it for my loving brother, but don't tell me that I can't make it out of here. Don't tell me that this is the best that I can do. I didn't, in my mind, though, as a, as a freshman and sophomore, I wasn't thinking about the NFL. I was just thinking, like, I want to do it not just for my brothers. Like, yeah, I want to do it for them. I mean, it's cool to have a, a, an external motivation, but I'm also internally motivated. Like, I want to do it for me. Like, this is not the best that I can do. So I want to do better than, you know, I did yesterday. So that was like a mentality, but I think – when I had that that ref, it was a game we played. Uh, we played Crown University, and I punched the ball out, picked it up, and scored. And I was having a, the whole game. They were like the opposing team was antagonizing. Like if I was around the pal, they'll come and hit me in the back. Uh, they'll pull me down. Like all this, like holding all types of stuff. And I went to their one ref. I was like, ref, you gonna call something? He's like, he's like, no, man, you see what they're doing, right? You see what they're doing? They're trying to get in your head. Just keep playing. I'm like, no, I want you to call. I want you to call a foul. Like I want you to throw the flag. <laughs> He's like, no, I just keep playing, keep playing. So I, I got the ball, punched it out, scored. He came to me and was like, see, a cool head prevails. You know, do what you got to do to get to the lead. And it wasn't until then that I think, oh, maybe I could maintain the field, right? There was another person who told me that that's a possibility. So then I started changing the way I addressed the game. You know what I mean? It was more so like my mentality became, you know, I'm not in the NFL now. I don't know what it means to be in the NFL. I've never met an NFL player. I've never been in an NFL facility. I know this isn't it, but whatever it is, I'm going to train I'm going to approach the game as if I'm in the NFL. So I practice differently. I watch film differently. I train differently. I did extra training. I did all these things that I thought an NFL player would do. And that's kind of how. So when, when the NFL did call, it wasn't a shock to me. It's like when I when the first, when the, when the first scout, I think the first scout that came to me was, was the Ravens. And then it was the, Ra- the Raiders. And they came to me. And they didn't even watch me practice. They just came and just ate lunch with me. I mean, breakfast with me and left. But when they came, it wasn't a shock to me. It was like, okay, they're here. Like, I've been practicing, like, as if they were in the stands already. So it's not going to be anything new to me. 
You know what I mean? I would pick, this is, this may sound crazy, but I would pick a trainer on the sideline. Like, that's my scout today. You know what I mean? So everything I do is like, it's going to practice for that scout. So I just had to change the mentality. Like I had to make it to where it was, I was already there in my mind. Um, so that way when it came, it was an adjustment. That's, that's super interesting. I, it, it's, it's almost like you created the conditions, you know, you created the conditions yeah. and then, and then you adapted to them. And I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine and how so many athletes who are maybe under the radar, they don't hold themselves with that sort of pride and kind of, you know, hold themselves with that sort of pride and dignity that an elite athlete would. So it's almost like to get yeah. there, you have to believe in it first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it's like a, it almost feels like deja vu sometimes, right? It's like, I've, I know you don't, this is a re- reality. So when I, when I said I wanted to go to the NFL, I didn't tell anybody. I told my dad and I had to tell the head coach because the head coach ended up giving me, getting uh, worried to a scout to give me the run for a scout or whatever. So those are the people, those two, those are the only two people that I told. And I knew I couldn't tell my friends or anyone else at school because they wouldn't have believed and they just would have thought I was crazy. So I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't tell them, but I had to believe it in myself. Right. I had to believe in myself. And so instead of me leaning on other people to like internally motivate me, and even the coach, even my coach said that he's like, I know there's going to be times where it's not going to feel like it's going to happen. You're going to feel um, discouraged, but you're going to have to lean on me a little bit. And I said, I hear you because I said, if I got to lean on you, it's probably not going to happen. Like that was the honest truth. I said, I said, my motivation has, has to be internal because if it's not internal, I just won't make it because there's so many forces outside of us that tell us we can't do it. This isn't. This isn't likely for a division two player. This isn't likely for some of your size. Like it's always something telling us that we can't do something. And it's the internal thing that kind of keeps that motor going, at least for me. This clip is from episode 17, an ecological approach to volleyball practice design, where I was joined by Mike G who is the volleyball coach and the director of volleyball at North Pacific Juniors Volleyball Club located in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and Washington. And we talked about many different coaching topics. Mike shared his experience. There was a lot of great takeaways in this episode. And one of them, one of my favorite parts is what I'm about to share with you. And this is where Mike discusses a specific failure that he made while coaching in a match. And my big takeaway from this is that in this scenario as coaches, it's easy to be inflexible. You have your intention, your mindset on a certain outcome that you want, but instead of being flexible and attuned to what's actually you know, occurring and what's unfolding around you, sometimes we have this intention and we are too rigid and are inflexible and do not adjust with what unfolds in the environment. So that was my big takeaway here, and I hope you enjoy it. I think that... The one that really stands out to me is uh, when I was a high school volleyball head coach. And we, you know, part of what I had expressed uh, in my interview for the job was, you know, I, I thought that the team and the program could use uh, some help just getting over the edge. You know, they've had some really good athletes that have come through their program, um, but they were always just kind of falling short, taking second place. Um in, in their section when I thought maybe, you know, that team should probably take first. And part of it was um, performing under pressure, um, you know, a sense that maybe my observation was that maybe they were afraid to, I don't know, to make mistakes or whatever it might be. And so when it was kind of the, the match on the line 
And if we win this set, I think we have a shot to go and play for uh, the state championship. And it was a, a close game at the end. And my assistant coaches were telling me to take these timeouts. I thought, no, like, no, we're going to need these timeouts later. You know, I just felt like, mm, let's just wait, roll the dice. And then, and then if it gets to, you know, 24 all or 25 all, we're, we're having to come from behind, uh, then, then maybe we'll, we'll have that available and we'll use it. So we get to that place and now it's like, okay, my assistant coach is telling me, Mike, take the timeout now. And I looked back and I said, no, like they need to do this on their own. And uh, it was kind of like what I wanted for the program was for them to get over this hump of, um, you know, what I thought was maybe the, the program sort of being afraid of, of, of that moment. And, uh, and so I, I didn't take the timeout and they served us. And, and the other team got an ace and kind of our, our season just ended just like that. And I thought, man, I, I should have listened to my assistant coaches and I should have been a better coach and made a better decision in that moment to help them achieve that goal. And it was kind of like, for me, selfishly on a grander scale, I wanted something bigger for the program. Um, but for those athletes on the team that year, that season, you know, their, their focus in that moment is like their goal now you know, and um, that one haunted me for, for a while. All right. And the last failure that I'm going to share today on this episode is my failure. And I thought it was, would only be right if I shared a story for me after sharing some from my favorite podcast guests. And before I do that, again, just I encourage you guys, if you want to learn more about the guests and the conversations that we had, all the episodes or all the clips rather that I shared are from some of my favorite episodes and some of my most honest and transparent guests. So uh, definitely listen to those in its full entirety. So, uh, you know, when I'm looking at kind of my burning bush or fork in the road or eureka moment, as I believe Casey called it um, earlier in clip one, I didn't really have a specific one of those. But what comes to mind as a specific failure, I can visualize this very clearly in my head. This is several years ago where I was having an athlete do some sort of sprint drill. I think it was maybe a falling start or some, some type of technical sprint uh, drill that we were doing, right? It looked great. Then I immediately went after that, kind of a, in of a A1, A2 type of fashion, going from closed technical to open or reactive, at least, if you will, where we then did a reactive sprint. I believe I did a, maybe a rep when I clapped, or I think we even had him sprint and react towards somebody. And I watched him, and as he reacted and sprinted based off of another person's movement, the KPIs and what we had done before in that first drill looked nothing like what that athlete displayed. And I remember thinking like, huh, that's odd. And then I did it again. Same thing. And again, same thing. And so later that day, I remember realizing, man, is what I'm doing is is this sprint drill that's supposed to help my athletes. And obviously this is a short sample size just within that session. 
I think though that had always been kind of in the back of my mind, but is what am I doing actually helping is what am I doing actually helping this athlete become better at the sport, what they're paying me for. And it kind of destabilized what I thought I knew about coaching. And it also raised some questions in my brain and in my methodology. And one of the questions is, was I doing what I was doing because I believed in it or because someone else believed in it and I repeated it? And I had kind of come to the conclusion then that I was doing it because someone else was doing it. This is the way I was told to do it. This is the way I had seen other people doing it. I didn't necessarily know the why behind I was doing behind why I was doing it. I just did it because, you know, hey, it makes sense. This is a common, common progression. And this is what led me, among many other things, into going down some of these more skill acquisition-based ecological dynamics, constraints that approach rabbit holes. And really led me to investigating what sport movement actually is and how it is actually displayed in sport, in that athlete's respective sport. And then really question is what I'm doing for my ego to look pretty or is it actually for that athlete to transfer to their sport? So that is it for today. Thank you all so much for joining me on this very uh, experimental episode of the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. I hope that some of these lessons from my first year of podcasting and interacting with some of the very best practitioners in the world are helpful to you and your own journey and your own coaching career. Until next time, we'll see you. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. If you like what you heard, share the episode with a friend, share it on social media, or even better, write us a review. Until next time, we'll see you on the Athlete Blueprint Podcast. Take care.